Well, friends, if you could open in your Bibles, we are going to take a pause from our Galatians series due to um, <clears throat> some of the things that have been happening over these past several days, and we are going to focus in on this main idea. Why in the world would we gather together after a hurricane rolls through town? I think if you were just talking to people in general, and we said, hey, we're going to have a gathering because we believe it's important to gather 150, 200 people to worship Jesus, they'd be like, why get together? Can't you just do this at home? And so I think we need to answer the question, why in the world would we gather after a hurricane's rolled through town? Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to turn there, but we won't uh, get there for just a couple of minutes, but Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 help us to understand a little bit. Here's where I want to begin though, as you are turning there, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. I want to address the kids in the room. Okay kids, here's a question for you. Have you ever been asked to share? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh-huh. It's like some of the first words that come out of parents' mouths when anyone else is in the room, right? So you've been asked to share a toy with a sibling, or you've been asked to share a toy with someone maybe even here at church. You've been asked to share your food. You, we are always asked to share. Now, here's two ways to share. One is... Okay, Sean, would you share your phone so that someone could make a call? Okay, get that and use my phone, you know, so you can be frustrated and you can not be a part of this. You can want nothing to do with it. Or you can say, hey, here's my phone. Is there anything else I could help you with? And then after you hear, they're saying like, okay, well, my car's broken down. I need some help. Is there anything I can do to help you? There's a sense of you can either share in isolation. So like, here, take this toy and you run away, or take this toy, let's play with it together. Now, sharing in the Bible is not take this toy, play with it on your own. Sharing in the Bible, when it talks about sharing fellowship with one another, it's talking about sharing your very lives with each other so that you are doing something together. You're growing together. There is a togetherness about it. The word in the Bible would be koinonia. You've heard it before. Koinonia, sharing in something or sharing with someone in something. That's exactly what it means. It is sharing in something together with someone else. Here's a verse where we get it in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says this. You were called into, and here's our word, fellowship or into sharing of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, there's two things that you need to know. The you there is not singular. So, you don't just need to put your name there. You need to put church. So, you as a family were called into one another's lives. That's the first meaning. You were called into one another's lives to share the individual fellowship that you have with Jesus with one another. Now, that might really mess your heart up and your mind up, but that's what it means. 
It means that when you come to faith in Jesus, Christ comes and lives inside of you. And that is not only something to be enjoyed, it is something that is shared supernaturally, mysteriously as we gather together. We are sharing the work of God in our hearts with one another when we gather together. Another verse that makes this clear, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. So sharing what you have heard, sharing something that God has done in your life with someone else actually mysteriously unites you together. There's a sharing that you do together. And the kids are saying, amen. And then I know this feels like, oh my goodness, you better hurry up. This isn't going to last long. And indeed, it says, we're just going to stick with the Bible and trust the Lord to deposit what needs to be deposited. And it says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. When you share what God has done, you're not just sharing your very life. You're sharing Jesus with one another. So, now, we must ask this question. Why do we gather? We gather... Because we need this kind of life. We need to share our successes and failures. We need to share the work of God in our lives so that we see Him and experience Him deeper. Now, there's a picture up here. Maybe pictures will help. Picture. Is it going to work, bro? Oh, there it is. Okay, picture. This picture has no meaning according to the sermon, okay? All I want you to do is I want you to look at all the different colors. Some of us view our Christian life as just individual pieces that don't relate to one another. But this artist is communicating something completely different about paint. Paint comes together and it blends in order to make something beautiful. It doesn't stay isolated. Red has hues. Yellows have hues. Blues have hues. And they combine together to make all different types of colors to create a masterpiece. You, church, we are a masterpiece. Never meant to be an isolation one color, but meant to be brought together in fellowship, sharing what God has done. And in so doing, we actually have fellowship deeper with God himself. Why do we gather? We get more of God. And that's the first point. Why in the world would we gather? We gather to remind one another of Jesus. Now, a pastor says this, fellowship, John Piper, he says, fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ. A mutual bond that we have with Jesus that puts us in a deep and eternal relationship with one another. This relationship, this supernatural bond, will last past death to the feet of Jesus when we worship Him forever. This is something that's different than just a relationship that you have with non-Christians. This is a different family-type relationship. So why in the world would we gather the Sunday after a hurricane rolls through town? Some might say it's legalism. You're just doing it to get your religious box checked. Some would say, they would say, well, I'm free not to meet. Leave me alone. Okay, that's fine. You actually are. Okay, it's okay. Some would say, it's just a meeting and you're making me feel guilty for not wanting to go. I'm not doing that either. Some would say, oh, you're trying to show your church is better than the churches that canceled. So it's all of a sudden some spiritual competition. 
I want to reject all of that. We are not gathering in order to one-up someone spiritually, to throw shade on other churches who have canceled. Couldn't be further from the truth. And we're not gathering because we believe God will only accept us if we're here right now. And those who didn't come aren't accepted. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But let's be careful. Do you call brushing your teeth legalism? You do it every day. At least you should. (laughs) And your dentist will be like, yeah, you should. And sometimes you brush your teeth out of guilt, don't you? Because you see your dentist looking at you saying, yeah, your teeth are raunchy and you need to brush them. (laughs) My dentist tells me to floss all the time. I struggle with that one. But if I floss, most of the time it's out of guilt from my dentist. Does that mean it's a bad thing? Nope. We don't call eating legalism. We don't call showering legalism. We call it healthy. One of the greatest things my parents did for me was to take me to church. Week in and week out when I didn't want to. Because now there's built in me this sense of it's not healthy for me not to go to church. Now I can import all kinds of things into that. I can import wrong theology. God will only accept me if I go. That's wrong. But habits are not evil. Why in the world do we gather for this habit? We gather because it's healthy. And I need you to remind me of God. I need you to remind me of God. It's almost disorienting. We had a lot of time as family. We're playing cards. We're playing rummy cube. We're doing all kinds of stuff, you know. Power went out for two hours is all we had. It felt like two days. And so, you know, we were sitting there and we were trying to think of all kinds of things to do. And so, but then something came to mind about, okay, I'm going to have to make a decision about church. What are we going to do? And it, it was a little disorienting. For me to go from that world to thinking about church and gathering together. And, and some of you, it, you, those worlds don't connect, right? I mean, like you're just doing life and you haven't thought much about a relationship with Jesus. Or you hadn't thought much about the church or those kind of things. That's not everybody, but you can understand sometimes these life-altering situations, they just lead to some disorientation. Well, here's what I want you to know. God is wanting us to recognize him in the midst of a hurricane and remind one another that he is most important. That's why we gather. You know what was shocking about the hurricane? There wasn't one weather person who could change its course. They could not change it. They could only report on it. There was not one government official of even arguably the most powerful nation in the world that could change its course or redirect it. They had to submit to its path and all they could do was caution or ask for evacuation. Yet we hunker down, we get ready, and we forget this. Job 37, verses 11 through 14. Speaking of God. God says, Job, don't you know that it is he, the Lord, who loads the thick cloud with moisture? The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction 
or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. What is our response? Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. We gather because we are meant to stop and consider together the wondrous works of God. Mother Nature is wanting to get the glory for something that can only be attributed to God. Now, you have to see what if this hurricane coming through helped, let's say, 900,000 people were without power. Let's say 100,000 were believers. And this was used to help them process their faith and to cling tighter to Jesus and to remind themselves of what is important. Would that be loving or unloving? It'd be loving. That God would use a hurricane to secure the faith of his children. And what if there were 25,000 people who totally disregarded God altogether, but because they have experienced what they have experienced over these last three days, now they're asking questions of eternity and life-altering why, what is significance and who is my king and who am I living for and what happens after I die? What if 25,000 people start asking those kind of questions? Would that be loving? You better believe it. I cannot pretend to know all of God's varied purposes and points, but I know this, whether for correction or for just the good of the land or for love, he causes it to happen. And here's this, if that makes your stomach hurt, oh no, God's in charge, he's sovereign. How do we know he's good? Go to the cross. He sent his son to say, no matter what swirls around in your life, you cannot say, I don't love you. I crushed my son so that you would know love. So friends, I need you to remind me of God. And you need to be reminded of God. That's why, and that's the most important reason why we gather. The second reason is that we extend to one another the love of God. We extend to one another the love of God. Last week we had our Loving the Church Fellowship and celebration. I was out in the back. After I talked to one brother up here for about 10 or 15 minutes, I walked to the back and I just butt myself into a conversation that I was not a part of. And there, everybody was really kind to start talking to me. And so then I start talking to this one guy for about 30 minutes, member of our church, dear brother. And he just began to share. And in the conversation, he shared about a sermon that had encouraged him and how it encouraged somebody else and how he had shared that. And he just looked at me and he said, hey, you might ought to go back and, or you might ought to go and look at that sermon. I think that would be something that encouraged you. And so that was about five minutes out of a 30-minute conversation. It was Wednesday of this week. I woke up with a heavy heart, an anxious soul, didn't get a lot of sleep. I was feeling really down, not despair completely, but there was a lowness of hope. And the Lord brought to my mind those words from my brother. And I mean brother, not because 
you know, we had the same mama, but because we have the same God. And his words came, and I sat down early in the morning for 40 plus minutes, and I listened to that sermon. And God did a work in my heart. He did a work in my heart that can only be explained as the mercy of God. The shackles of defensiveness fell. Light shone into my despairing heart. Hope began to rise. Strength welled up where I was more aware of my deficiencies than I was of anything else. God used his word and this dear brother sharing in a five minute portion of a conversation to strengthen my heart. Why do we gather? Because we need one another. This is where Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 come into play and it says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you hear this? Let's just pr- slow it down for a second. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together. He's saying one of the primary ways that you stir up one another to love and good deeds is to meet together. And he says, don't neglect it as is the habit of some. What does that mean? It means that we are forming habits all the time. Habits for good and habits for bad. And this is a bad habit that many of us can get into. It is the calling our gathering together as unimportant, as secondary, as kind of throwaway, or at least one week at a time, it's not that important. And that's a bad habit. And so it's a good command when he says, don't throw away or neglect the gathering together. Kids, I got another question for you. Is this a good command or a bad one? If I say, Don't drink poison. That's a good command. Okay, if I say, don't ram your head into a wall, is that a good command? Yes. If I say, don't take a hammer and smack your hand, is that a good command or a bad command? That's a good one. That's exactly right. And this right here is a good command. Um, A command that is common sense. A command for your good, for your health. But it's acknowledging sometimes we don't do good things or wise things. It is a good command pushing us to the deepest health and the greatest joy. That is, gather together so you can encourage one another. Now, David Mathis says this in a book called The Habits of Grace. He says this about our corporate gathering. While I cannot commend one keystone habit that will make the difference of for every believer, I do want to speak on behalf of one weekly habit that is utterly essential to any healthy, life-giving, joy-producing Christian walk, and that is corporate worship. And it is all too often neglected or taken very lightly in our day of disembodiment or in our proclivity for being non-committal. In fact, I do not think it's too strong to call corporate worship the single most important habit of the Christian life. Whoa, you better back that one up, sports fans. Okay, so the next quote, he says, The reason corporate worship may be the single most important Christian habit and our greatest weapon in the fight for joy is because like no other single habit, 
Corporate worship combines all three essential principles of ongoing supply of God's grace for the Christian life. Hearing his voice in the word, having his ear in prayer, and belonging to his body, the fellowship of the church. End quote. This is as essential as brushing your teeth and eating day by day. Why else does God say we should gather when a hurricane rolls through town? And because we display to one another our humanity and therefore hope. <laughs> Why would it say in Hebrews chapter 10, don't neglect the gathering together? Why would we want to neglect the gathering together? One, we're tired, right? But the other one is that people are there, right? Come on. That's right. Introverts are saying amen. You get this. I'm tired and people are there. Why in the world would God have said he is the only perfect one that will exist? And then he tells us that we need to be in constant relationship with one another. Don't, doesn't he understand who is in this body? I mean, we are talking about bad breath, stinky feet, crazy hair, clothes disheveled, noisy kids, broken homes, interrupting, scattered minds, messy, aching joints. That's who's here. That's who's here. All of a sudden, the people that look like, oh, these are just good, these are good people. All of a sudden, you actually get in a relationship with them and they got issues. I got issues. They lose their temper, they get critical, they misspeak, they show weakness, they are insensitive. Your burdens aren't their burdens. They feel further from us than we ever imagined. It feels impossible to bridge the gap. They have messy homes, messy cars, messy offices, imperfect knowledge, inability to do math, inability to write well, inability to organize, inability to produce, inability to solve problems or fix cars or manage monies. The list can go on. We are filled with inability. And so where you don't have inability, you think everybody else should get up to your standards. And we just get bothered by people. Well, friends, God has ordained that broken, messy, not altogether people collide as family. Because there's one thing that's beautiful. By simple faith alone, the living God comes and dwells here. And you share in your imperfect way the living God's work in your life with somebody else. And now you share with one another. And you deepen your experience of God. Zach Eswine says this, Attending to God's work among faces, names, and stories where you are is to do already what God considers significant. You don't have to go anywhere else to do something significant, but to come and to endure with one another when it's hard. So friends, we gather to remind one another of God. We gather so that we might love one another and stir one another up. We gather to remind one another that we are all human and there is hope because there is a God among us. And finally, we're going to put this into practice. We gather to pray for one another, helping us see that only God can rescue. Do you know what it does when you pull me aside or I pull you aside in the main room? after a service or in the foyer or in the parking lot, and I say, can I pray for you? 
Do you know what that does right there? It says one thing loud and clear. I can't fix you. I can't overcome your burden, but I know one who can. You remind me when you pray for me that God is important. You remind me when you pray for me that there is a God who hears. I need you to go to God for me when I feel too weak to go myself. I need your prayers for me to persist when I struggle to believe. I need you to hold me up in prayers when my arms can't go anymore. When we pray, we are communicating only God can rescue. So we wanted to carve out the last five or so minutes to just stop and to say, God, we get the privilege to be together and to pray for one another. Would you help us do that now? So here's what we want to do. I'm going to invite the pastors up, any uh, deacons that want to come up and pray for others. You just come up and make some space up here after I pray. And then what we are inviting you into is this. There might be somebody sitting right next to you that you just want to pray for. Lean over and pray. Some of you might want your whole family because they're really squirmy and you're just like, I don't know if we can make it. You just might want to bring them all right up front. You don't have to say a word. I just want to put my hands on your shoulders and I want to pray for you. Some of you, you know each other's stories. You know each other's journey. And you just want to go to somebody and say, would you pray for me? I'm going to invite in this time that we would feel the freedom to pray for one another because I believe our God hears. And he has proven his love. And this is a great way for us to communicate our love for one another. So, why do we gather? We gather to treasure Christ together. So let me pray. And then we will spend some time praying together. Father in heaven, I thank you that we are able to be together. And right now, I just ask. I ask through prayer, we would remind one another of you. I ask that through prayer, we would encourage one another and love one another. I ask that through prayer, through our imperfect words, our inability to draw up the most artistic prayer, that we would just be okay with being human. And we would just talk to you on behalf of others. Father, I pray that you would remove any sense of fear or anxiety, and I ask, O oh God, where there are guests in the room, where, those, where there are those that just don't want to move, I ask that they would call out to you in their own hearts. God, where you are stirring in people's hearts, I pray that they would not use any excuse. It's crowded, or I'll have to ask people to move, or do I really, is this really from you? God, if you are stirring people to pray, that is from you. And so, Father, we just ask, we just ask that you would make us a praying people in this moment. Father, move, I pray, by the power of your Spirit, move. We ask this in a spirit of prayer for the next several minutes. We ask this in Jesus' name. I'm just going to leave it open-ended. If elders and some deacons would come up front and scatter the front so that people would know where they could go for prayer, I want you to be encouraged that you can be prayed for, and now is the time for you to pray for others. Maybe it's those in your community group. Maybe it's a community group leader. 
Maybe it's just somebody that was on your heart. Maybe it's getting two people together to pray for a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's praying for children or for marriages. Maybe it's praying for just a a lowness of spirit, a sense of depression. Don't be afraid to share your heart. And let's bear this burden together as a family. That's why we gather. So let's spend this time in prayer.
there's still some that are praying. But I want to close us in prayer. Those who need to linger can. But we gather. We gather because we get to love one another and experience God together in ways that we would not were we not together. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We ask that in this moment there would be a deep-rooted convincing of your love for us and our need for you and one another. Make us believe that we are not just like a family, but because of Christ we are a family. Father, we need you. So help this to scatter throughout the week that we continue to encourage one another daily and pray for one another. And that, God, we would treasure you together. So move in our midst, we pray. Thank you for this time that we've had together. We pray this in Jesus' name.